Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Hey, y'all. Have you ever changed your mind about something? I don't mean changing your mind about what to eat or what to wear, but something more substantial, like your life's career choice. Many of us who enter medicine, I mean, we're really stepping out on faith that this is what we want to do. And once we identified medicine, then it's, well, what specialty? And what if you don't get the specialty quite right? So many of you are just starting in you know, this, this field, this new field. And what do you do when you're not getting that satisfaction and fulfillment that you thought this specialty would bring? Well, in this episode, I discuss with Dr. Jamel Lowry, his experience with these very same questions. Please enjoy. Hello, hello. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Dr. Jamel Lowry. He's a pediatric anesthesiologist at Texas Children's Hospital. And I actually met him when he was interviewing for pediatric anesthesiology fellowships. You know, meet him when we were both fellows, and then to see him as faculty. It's just been amazing. Um, And even though I left the organization where we first met, we've still kept in touch. And I'm just so thrilled and excited for us to really dive into his story because he has a unique journey. Is there anything you want to share in your introduction, Dr. Lowry, before we get into it? (laughs) (laughs) No, that was an amazing introduction. I had to, um, I was questioning who exactly you were referring to with all these high accolades and high praises, but I thank you for that warm introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's fabulous. I mean, Dr. Lowry represents why we want diversity in medicine. Okay. He's a black male who just keeps it real all day, every day. And we both used to work in the main OR. It was like, every time I saw him, it was like, cousin, <laughs> You know, we would be pushing people in the PACU, heading towards induction. Mm -hmm. And just to have that grounding in the day to know that, you know, we aren't cogs in a wheel. We aren't just keeping the cases going and moving the day along. But what it's really about is relationships, relationships with our patients, but also relationships with each other. And it was, I mean, 
I always valued our interactions throughout the day. I, I mean, and it hit me hard when he, you know, when the community site opened and he had to go off to the community because yes, the vibes yes. just weren't there. And that lightness that I had throughout my day to be able to just connect or just, you know, cut eyes and be like, oh my gosh, you see the board today, yeah. you know, like, right. <laughs> those moments. Right. It means so much. That has really been what held me up when I had my OR days. I think it's it's certainly what we all need when we establish professional relationships to have those people that you could just look at and you don't even have to say anything. It's just so much is conveyed. Right. Eyes, you know, like <laughs> yeah, and your in your expression, I I understand. I understand. And then moreover, like a lot of those times, those professional relationships that you have with each other can develop into like personal relationships. So like you and I, our families have gotten to know each other. Like I've, you know, you've been at my house for Thanksgiving. I've watched two kids while you ran a marathon. So those professional relationships that you develop can be very, very, can great, can create lifelong friends. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, y'all are family. Absolutely love your family. So yes, how do we, where do we want to get started here? I think that I definitely want to highlight in your journey is that you did not come to anesthesiology straight away. You initially were an ear, nose, throat resident. I mean, that was that was your path. This is July. We have all these fresh-faced trainees who they entered into a career path, whether that be surgery, ENC, internal medicine, whatever. And everybody comes into it saying, this is what I'm going to do, right? This is what you interviewed for, wrote essays for, got rec- letters of recommendation for. So for you... Tell us about what attracted you to ENT and and at what point did you know that that wasn't quite right for you and that anesthesiology was? Or I guess you could, you know, share with us what about anesthesiology drew you to that? I mean, there's so many ways we can approach this question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess first I can kind of talk to you about like my exposure to anesthesia, honestly. Um so I was a fourth year medical student and there's certain rotations during your fourth year that are more friendly to you taking time away to interview than other rotations. Anesthesiology at my home medical school was very, very friendly. While I was there, it was actually surprisingly pleasurable. I actually connected with a, a gentleman there named Dr. James Griffin. He was very, very instrumental. He was, you, you're nodding. Sounds like you Yeah, know I'm style. nodding. Yes. Because he is, he is one of the heads of the Evelyn E. Henley Society for the National Medical mm-hmm. Association. Mm-hmm. So he's mm-hmm. very much involved with establishing a network of anesthesiologists, Black anesthesiologists, for us mm-hmm. to equip, support, mentor, sponsor one another. So the fact you mentioned him i'm like wow what a big player um oh, yeah yeah he's a very very late laid back guy and i think oftentimes medical students are attracted to specialties for various reasons like their father was an orthopedic surgeon or you know they, perhaps they had like pediatric cancer now they want to be a pediatric uh, hematologist oncologist for me dr griffin he and i kind of had like similar personalities very laid back very easygoing and I remember one interaction, I was actually second year medical student. I was seeing a patient in the ER. The patient I was interviewing, I think had like COPD or something like that. But in the background, I went to UT Southwestern, which if you only think about Parkland, it's a crazy, very, very busy, high volume institution. Anyway, there was a code and I saw a brother come in who was a resident. He carried his anesthesia case 
Um, he walked into the room. And again, I was just like an observer. And I saw him intubate the patient. And as smoothly as he came in, and that's how smoothly he left. And that actually kind of resonated with me a little bit. But then anyway, going to fourth, I did anesthesia during the month and I knew I'd be interviewing for ENT. So I was there, you know, doing some intubations and sitting in some cases and things like that. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty interesting field. But I had committed to ENT. I was getting great interviews. Uh, I was received very, very well on my interviews. So, I, you know, I really had no reason to change anything. And what drew me to uh, ENT was I was on my surgery rotation. And I happened to be, there was some downtime. And I was walking through the OR cutting to get to somewhere. And I was on trauma, actually. And very, very busy, up late at night, standing for these, you know, bowel resections and gunshot wounds and things like that. And I walked past the ENT room. And I actually happened to go in there for whatever reason. And I saw that there had a chair and it had their name, it had ENT written on the chair. I was like, wow, these guys are sitting for some surgeries. Currently, my feet hurting. My feet's hurting. Uh, what are these guys sitting doing? <laughs> and so I actually, this, that was the simple thing that caused me to investigate into ENT more and more and more. And I see you shaking your head because it sounds like something that I would say. But right, as, exactly. I looked into ENT, <laughs> as I looked into ENT, I was very enamored with the anatomy, the complexity of the cases, the diverse patient population, um, using your hands, as well as like kind of having office hours. So it was a very, very diverse field. And I felt that it would keep me engaged. Uh, for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So here you are, like you said, you've got your interviews, you have the mindset of I'm, I'm interested in ENT, why switch? Um, anesthesia, it's interesting, but I'm going to keep going on this ENT route. When did that shift for you? To be honest, I would say it was probably like maybe my second or third year of ENT. Uh, so your intern year of ENT and anesthesia and ophthalmology is fairly similar. During that time, I was primarily a general surgery resident. And, you know, there's some camaraderie that I, you know, I made some friends. There's some camaraderie that you feel amongst your co-interns. Uh, but I took my job seriously. But at the end of the day, I knew that like, hey, I'm just passing through. Um, ultimately, I'm going to be ENT. So my intern year was actually incredibly fun. I was in Chicago, which is a great city, as you well know. Um, uh, you know, I was studying a little bit, but then I had a you know a decent amount of time off, so I was exploring the city. So actually, my intern year was amazing. Second year residency, first year of ENT, you're essentially an intern all over again because now you're within the uh, otolaryngology department, so you're low melanin totem pole. So it's your second year, but you're still waking up early. You're going there, get numbers, you're rounding, you're writing down vitals for the team so that you know the rounds can be efficient. And, you know, nobody wants to do that. Um, so, again, like I kind of had that perspective of <laughs> that I'm doing the grunt work, but this is the way it's always been done. So just go along to get along. I was doing some surgeries, but overall, I just never really it, it never really felt right. It's, it's kind of tough to describe. Like I always felt that there was something missing. But then I began to attribute that dissatisfaction to just the fact that I was still kind of doing the grunt work. And I was like, well, as I progressed. And I become a third year resident. Now I have a second year resident below me to get those numbers. I'm introduced to more complex cases. I have a more involved role. In some of the complex surgeries, like maybe then things will shift. And honestly, it just never did. And so like, that was the thing. I kept hoping that like, as I go along, it'll get better as I get more uh, involved into the otolaryngology training. You said it didn't get better. Did it at all get worse? Not necessarily worse. Um, just overall unhappy mm. um you know like 
ENTs, it's a, it's a great field. It's very, very competitive to get into. I was very, very blessed to match. And I was actually very, very blessed to match into a very, very cool city, which I hold Chicago near and dear to my heart. So I was, I'm always, I've been really good at compartmentalizing things. So I never let one area of my life, I would say never, I try not to let one area of my life bleed over into others. Like, hey, you know, Saturday and Sunday, I'm, a, I'm out, I'm enjoying the city. Um, I had great friends there. So it was like, overall, it was a great experience. But professionally, it was kind of difficult to separate. Is it just the, the hardships of residency, which, you know, is very challenging? Or is it that I'm dissatisfied with the residency in ENT? And I began to examine that, like to have my best friend, Ryan, he's an ENT resident. We often had conversations about this. My wife, she's an obstetrician now. She's an OB-GYN resident. She and I had several conversations. I had conversations with my mother. The more I began to discuss it and have these conversations with close and trusted friends and family, I realized that I just wasn't happy with ENT. Mm. Really, it took a process of one, you identified that something doesn't feel right. So then your next step was bouncing this off of people who know and love you. And from that, mm-hmm. you came to the evaluation like, hey, this is just not the right field. Correct. So then what did you do? And how did anesthesiology then come back? So then it's one thing to realize that you know, like with, with ending anything like friendships, marriages, uh, anything you invested a lot of your energy and time into, it's very, very difficult to ultimately like pull the plug and sever ties. And so even though I was experiencing a lot of like dissatisfaction, ultimately I realized that, you know, I would be content because like, so I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Um, I didn't have any kids at that point. I do now, but I, I have, I'm pretty easy going. I'm able to find satisfaction in different areas of life. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just very, very strong Christian. So um, ultimately I was satisfied. There was no depression or anything like that, but I'm like, you know what? I can spend the next 30, 35 years of my life marginally satisfied with my job, you know, earning a great living, comfortable living, um, able to be there with my family and children, or I can kind of pursue something that I was initially interested in. And it would be a financial setback. It would be a time setback, but I'm living those years on earth anyway. I might as well be doing exactly what makes me happy. And so then like once I kind of had that realization, then I went to my department. And I was like, hey, you know what, guys, this is no longer for me. And then I resigned. Uh, and then prior to the resignation, um, they actually gave me about like, like several weeks to take time away just to be sure that that was something that I wanted to do. Wow. Um, and then I, as, even then on the resignation, I had an internal battle about which way to go, because, again, it's very, very difficult. ENT is a very competitive specialty. You're compensated very well walking away from that. Uh, So there was kind of like a tug of war internally for those few weeks that I was off, but I ultimately made the decision and honestly haven't looked back. Wow. You, did you make this decision while you were a third year resident? A fourth year. You, okay. So this is at the beginning Mm -hmm. of your fourth year? Middle toward the end. Wow. So you almost finished like that year mm-hmm. before you, so it took some time. I mean, you really, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I almost feel like almost a year given you know, the time you knew mm-hmm. you had the question to when you execute it. So um, the process of resigning, um, you know, what does that look like? There could be some trainees right now who may be in a state where they, they're getting those feelings. You just sort of went to your program director and expressed that you want to resign or was there something you know, I mean, how do you go about, I guess, having that conversation? 
Oh, uh, well, I think that like the, my program kind of knew that I was experiencing some like dissatisfaction. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't broadcast, but at the same time I communicated with them, you know, they kind of knew. Um, and you, know, you just kind of like, oh, after a while, you just like, hey, I, you know, as, as I'm speaking from this from a Christian perspective, like what is the direction that Christ wants me to go? And like, as you're going forward, one path that you think is laid out for you, um, but you start encountering lots of obstacles, lots of roadblocks. Despite your best efforts, these things are still placed in front of you, um, despite everything that you can do. And so then you have to take a step back and realize, like, am I continuing on the, on the path that Christ wants me on or should I be doing something else? And so then, like, once you kind of make that um, decision, then moving forward with, like, resigning from the program was actually relatively easy. It was just kind of a quick conversation. Um, and you may wish me the best. and. That's kind of it, you know? Yeah. You resigned from that program without having anything else lined up. Correct. Okay. So now tell us, what did you do after this? Because what really stinks, the system is set up to strongly discourage trainees from doing Mm -hmm. that because Mm -hmm. you can't sit for boards. You're not certified. Mm -hmm. You have the debt. So, I Mm -hmm. mean... What, <laughs> you know, you're in Chicago, relatively, you know, a uh, higher cost of living, you know, what, how did you navigate those practical challenges? Um, so to be honest, like at, at that point, I wasn't even sure I wanted to continue in medicine. Um, so growing up, I was, I mean, ever since the age of like eight, you know, seven or eight, no physicians in my family, but I said, I want to be a physician and, um, I, outside of being uh, an NFL wide receiver or playing in the NBA, being a physician was like the only thing that I wanted to do. And so then, you know, you kind of have this like existential, I don't say crisis, but examination, maybe, or at least a professional existential examination about like, what am I doing? Like this, you know, I was in my mid twenties at this time. So like my entire educational path has been geared towards this one career and I'm dissatisfied. Right. So I entertain other options. I entertain going to law school. Um, I entertain going, uh, obtaining my MBA. Um, I have some friends who have MDs and MBAs who aren't practicing medicine. And so I spoke with them about what they were doing. Um, so I, I actually even sat and took the GMAT because I was preparing myself to get an MBA. Um, so I, I, I tried like different things um, prior to going back to anesthesia. But it's actually a funny thing. So uh, <laughs> I was in a unique and uh, advantageous position because by that time, my wife who was an OB resident, was soon to be an OB attending. And so she had been hearing my struggle all along. And so for me, I didn't really have many financial considerations about resigning because my wife made a great salary. Like she was stepping into being an attending. So financially i knew i would be okay and then honestly like, even if you know like things like even if i didn't have her my mama would have looked out for me like my, yeah. you know, my uncle would have looked out for me while i tried to like find it you know like um so i wasn't necessarily worried about that but my wife i i thank her i thank god for her all the time because like she didn't bat an eye uh she was there every step of the way encouraged me to kind of like find my find my own path yeah incredible so Okay, you said you even sat for the GMAT. How much time did you take off before saying, I'm going to go back? 
So I was up. So I resigned at the end, probably like at the, at the end of my fourth year. So the problem with that is that, as we all know, the academic calendar resets in July. Mm-hmm. And at that point, there were no anesthesia positions available. I sat out and I just kind of contemplated about what exactly I wanted to do. And it's kind of funny, like the moment that I had that I knew um, where I wanted to return to medicine, my wife was on call. So we were sitting down watching TV and she gets a page and she returns a page. She goes, hey, this is Dr. Lowry returning a page. And I looked at her and I was like, hell no, nah, I'm Dr. Lowry. And that was my decision to like enter back into medicine. It was like her returning a simple page. I was like, no, like I'm I'm happy she's Dr. Lowry, but like I'm Dr. Lowry as well. Like this is my calling. And so then that's when I began to search back about what other fields interest me. Um, and then I recalled my experience with anesthesia. And then again, just kind of like reached out to my network of friends and um colleagues from medical school, like helped me out in finding a position kind of outside of the match. Now, did you see how he went through almost completing his ENT residency when he took action and finally moved on what his heart was calling him to do for nearly a year? I'd like to highlight the steps that he took to make the moves to a career that was more fulfilling. One is, is that he checked in with himself. And you notice the role that his faith plays as the main organizing principle for how he makes decisions. Secondly, as he was having this dialogue with himself and within his faith, he also conversed with his family and friends in which he got constant reinforcement that he has to switch specialties. Taking action is incredibly courageous and it's necessary if we're going to have the satisfying, fulfilling lives that we've sacrificed so long and hard to have. It's never too late to take action on what's in your heart, whether you just are starting in your career as a physician, or if you've been a physician for 15 years, every day we are growing as people and priorities change, our interests change. Likewise, our career path is going to change. So never feel as if it's too late. It's never too late to walk in the direction of a satisfying fulfilling life. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.